0: Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Raindance Media. Raindance offer a range of digital marketing services, SEO, web design, pay-per-click advertising, Google Ads, and Facebook Ads management. Rank your business on the first page of Google, or build your business's online presence with their range of digital marketing services. Raindance are a boutique agency only taking a limited number of clients. Get more traffic, acquire more customers, grow your business. Don't get left behind online www.raindance.net.au Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Hear The Voice podcast. Today we have two special guests and podcasters in their own right. Mark McGowan who hosts a show called Trends, which digs into the analytics world of the AFL football industry to get engaged on what's happening behind the scenes. Mark is also a journalist with a career that spans over 10 years currently works for AFL Media. Our other guest is Cody Royal, who is the head coach of Team Canada, who represents that country in the international AFL football series. Cody's also an author of a book called Where Others Won't, and is the podcast host of Where Others Won't, that talk about business, sports, academia, culture, and the secrets of the best teams in the world, and how they get to where they get to These two guys are a fantastic listener, really good people, and I'm very, very grateful for their time. They have great stories to tell of their own, and their journeys of getting to where they are today. I really hope you enjoy the listen as much as I enjoyed making it with them. I want to thank them for coming on, and please enjoy Mark McGowan and Cody Roy. Thanks for listening. Cody Royal and Mark McGowan. Welcome to Hear the Voice, boys.
1: Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having us on.
2: Thanks, Rats. It's good to see you again. And same with you, Mark.
1: Yeah, good to uh, renew acquaintances. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: it's exciting to get you both on. So for those of you that aren't um, aware of your your two backgrounds, I guess, both podcasters in your own right, Mark, a a journalist with AFL Media. And Cody, you've got your finger in that many pies, I wouldn't even know how to... Introduce you, mate. What do we call you these days?
2: I don't even know. Mate. <laughs> yeah, I struggle, struggle keeping it under the, the Twitter uh, bio limit.
1: TAC Cup star, isn't it?
2: Former. Yeah. That <laughs> no one remembers. <laughs> no, we, we were wearing purple and gold last time uh, we put the Oakley Chargers jerseys on. That's how long ago it was, Russ. Am I right? You never played in the... No, we're the same age, so you never played in the new blue and red?
0: No, I barely played in the purple and gold, mate. You're giving me a little bit more credit than what I was on the list. (laughs) I was telling a story the other day. I played on Brent Maloney, and um, I put my arm across him because that's what we were supposed to do as defenders out at um, Get In Your Park there. And he looked at my little uh, skinny forearm and said, if you fucking touch me again, I'll break your neck. Yeah, I proceeded to not go near the footy for the rest of the day, Mark. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm wrapped to have you both on, obviously. um, Mark, with Trends, where is Trends? And uh, uh, Cody's been on your show uh, and it's uh, a podcast that I really enjoy and something that got me through a lot of night shifts at work and same with you as well, Cody. And Cody, I can give you a lot of credit for uh, lighting the fire under me to start podcasting, connecting people and... It's a real thrill to have you both on because I admire both of your work. Uh, Mark, I want to start with you in regards to your journalistic career. I I love the journeys and stories around how people have come to working in their passions, not necessarily their jobs. Um, And it seems like you're both doing that at the moment. Um, Where did it all start for you? How did you end up covering AFL media?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's been a journey. I'll give you that. Um, There's some people who sort of emerge in a covering AFL in their twenties. Um, for me, it, it took a little bit longer. Um, I had to take a, a pretty long route there. Um, like anyone, everyone, or most people did the, the uni degree and then rolled into my first uh, job at a weekly newspaper out in uh, Pakenham. So that was, uh, that was my start, so I cut my teeth and um, sort of progressed from there to a, a country newspaper in, in Shepparton, the Shepparton News. And um, from there, I actually went out and ran my own tennis website for about 18 months. Um, which was uh, a bit of a risk um, but I, it was something I wanted to do, another passion of mine in sport and, and then from there I, I went up and uh, was the sports editor up at the NT News. So I've, I've been all over the shop and um, I think every, every step has sort of helped me take the next one. Um, there's always been a connection who's helped me along the way and um, at, the, at the NT News I was able to connect with someone who had a connection um, within um, the AFL and um, yeah, I interviewed for the job, and he was one of my key references. And uh, here we are, about four years later, and uh, yeah, really enjoying it. It's it's been a yeah, it's been a big passion of mine, AFL um, or, or Australian Rules Footy, and um, yeah, real dream to cover elite sports. So I uh, finally got there after a very very long journey. Two questions with that,
0: mate. Uh, probably a silly one first up, but did it require you to live in all those parts of uh, Australia, Pakenham, Shepparton, and then up in the NT?
1: Yeah, I, look, I, I grew up in in Narrawarra North, so it was only a sort of a pretty short drive to get out to the Pakenham office every day. But um, yeah, I had to I had to move up to to Shepparton, which was pretty daunting first time out of home, out of the out of living away from mum and uh, moving away up to uh, up to Shepparton, leaving the the girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, leaving her behind. We were living apart for probably three of the four years I was there, so that was difficult. Um, but that's the sort of sacrifice you have to make. Um, especially in journalism, you have to do these sorts of things to, to get a break. As I said earlier, some people um, manage to get in early and get a really good opportunity and run with it. Um, for me, I had, to, I had to work pretty hard and and, and um, uh, make a lot of sacrifices to get there. Even when I moved up to Darwin, I, again, I had to live away from my partner. It was actually um, my, my wife found out about three weeks after I moved up to Darwin, that she was pregnant with our first child. Um, so, We spent, I spent basically the the whole of her pregnancy um, living apart, which I'm pretty, I feel pretty guilty about. But um, when I found out, I actually went to my boss and I'd only started a few weeks earlier and I sort of said, Look, I can't stay. I'm going to have to go. I can't, I can't do this. And um, they were actually really good about it. They were really keen for me to stay. So they gave me, I didn't have the leave at the time, but they gave me a month before the baby was due um, and then the month after as well. So, I got to have that two months leave, um, you know, only sort of what would it be, sort of eight eight months down the track or five or six months down the track from when we found out. And then uh, then I came back down to Melbourne and, and brought uh, my son Mason and, and my wife um, back up to Darwin. So it was, uh, yeah, it's was. it been an interesting journey.
0: Well, wow, that's a crazy, crazy journey. It sounds like you've got a superstar of a wife there uh, as the better half, mate, definitely
1: yeah no doubt she's been uh, very understanding of I think she she knew very early on when I was still working at Pakenham how much I loved the job and sport in general, so uh, she doesn't yeah, she can't say she didn't know what she was getting herself in for
0: yeah it's something well, I want to come back to mate your, your love for it and where it originated. I know Cody um, joining us all the way over there from Toronto, correct me if I'm wrong as well mate but um and I know you played at a really high level code, but what was the the trigger for you? When did you realise you wanted to get into the the um, I guess vocational space that you're in at the moment, mate? Which to me is oh, without sounding like a wanker, like uh, life coach, mentor, leadership, that type of stuff. Um, what was the trigger for you, code
2: Well, my question to Mark, uh, which we can get back on. So I want to know how you just like walk into Shepparton or Darwin or whatever and just start covering the news. So maybe we can go back to that. But yeah, for me. Uh, frustrated former footballer <laughs> was, was really the start of the journey, right? and, and that's yeah. when you know, we were teammates. And not being drafted really was the catalyst for me falling out of love with footy, to be honest. And I was in the coaching system by 23. Um, Bergs and Kydy got me down to Calder, kind of started me on that journey. And what I was really interested in and what I found was I could help the elite players coming through having recently been one, you know, I was Vic big Metro at every age group um, and was cut from Vic Metro at every age group. So there or thereabouts, but then that's the, the footy uh, coaching that I gravitated towards as well. So then you know, packed up two suitcases when I was 25 and moved to Toronto uh, just to get some work experience internationally with the objective to come back home and, and get back into the coaching pathway. You know, I wanted to be a, a head coach. I wanted to be one of the first head coaches that, that didn't play professionally. And yeah, but, but got here, loved it, started a new career, um, you know, got into writing and those things came together, coaching and writing now. And so that's really what I do um, without the kind of shits and giggles. And your the question earlier is I'm a, I'm a writer professionally, yep. mostly around user experience. So the way that, uh, uh, a user interacts with a website in particular, um, but also a blog about leadership, talk about leadership, have a podcast about leadership. So it's really, you know, where I see myself is I play around with business and sport and how they build teams, bring ideas from one to the other and, uh, and kind of a translator because I've seen both. You know, it's it's maybe a little bit rare in that we we tend to, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson's book about business leadership uh, but you know he spent 50 years working in a in a football environment so that you know the, the translation is you always know that it's just this little bit off um, in terms of the relevance so I've tried to fit into that mold of I spent 15 years working in in big corporate environments and watch how they build teams and lead and build culture and I've spent 30 years of my life doing the same thing in a, in a footy or a high performance sport environment.
0: You've spoke about this before with me. Um, when you wrote your book and started your podcast, the intention can correct me if I'm wrong, but was to tap into that, that business market, the, um, the corporate market. And for me, when I listen to it, it just resonates so much to me as a coach. And I think maybe the feedback you've got has been overwhelming in regards to sport and coaching. Is that, Ah, is that true and, and is it still existing? Have you cracked into the um, the corporate space or is it something that you're probably not going to focus on as much because of the success you're having in the sporting landscape
2: yeah, certainly the podcast you know because you can you can follow the the data behind it yeah and um, yeah that was really surprising if you listen to the first maybe 15 20 episodes it's very clearly for a business market i keep pulling even the you know there's some big names from sport in there i keep pulling them back to to, to business sided questions even though you know i tend to keep it within people so it's they're relevant to both but yeah and then the responses really i started getting calls from a lot of the <laughs> the pro teams of it here in north america and, and in the uk so like, hey can we talk about this concept or um, you know, can you tell me what you would do here, or who's doing this? You know, where in this scenario we need some help. Who else could we look to? So, yeah, it's resonated with the sporting audience, which is great for me because I'm a sports nut, and I'd I'd rather talk about that yes. all day, every day. So it's a <laughs> an added side benefit of it for sure, but certainly wasn't the intention going in.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I want to move on to talent, but I'm not going to go there yet, and um, I want to go in some different directions with that specific topic but um your question to mark about shepparton and and them do you want to touch on that
2: yeah tell us mate how do you how do you move around the country like what what is how do you get into because especially local news right like you've got to know the local people the, the what's important to them how do you like what is day one through 90 look like yeah. when you start a your newspaper <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. it's it's tough i think it's one of those things you can't expect to walk in and, and act like you're an expert that's, that's what's really i think because of the different stops i've gone into i've always gone in pretty wide-eyed and pretty honest about it um i think the, the first thing you've got to start with is if you've got any connection from where you've been previously with where you're going next so that's a good starting point and it's amazing how many different people have connections all over australia Someone always knows someone, and in sport, as as you both would know, there's there's just amazing connections across everywhere, and um, that's always been my first stop. So when when my first job again takes time to understand, um, especially in your first job as a journalist, what works, how you develop relationships—that's a really key one because I think it's even different to day to day with um, developing friendships or whatever outside of work. It's it's completely different um, because of that media relationship. Some people don't like media. Some people see media for a certain purpose. Um, and, and you have to understand what, how different people tick. And that's, that was, that's key, really, because in my, in my job, it's all about understanding all the different people you come across. And once you get that from there, speaking to the right people is where you start developing the knowledge. And for me, um, I've always just prided myself on having a, a really good work ethic, um, doing more hours than the next guy. That, that was how i was always going to get through um it, it was frustrating being on as i touched on earlier with that, that really long journey um sometimes feeling like in, we're never going to get to that dream of covering elite sports so for me it was like all right well let's do 12 hour days let's do 13 hour days let's um you know let's make as many phone calls as we can let's um let's read about the history of the football league i'm going to. let's um you know, let's talk to as many people as I can. Um, that That's really what it's about. And then it snowballs from there. It's funny how quickly you develop a knowledge for the area you're in. If you, you show passion, you show respect to the people you're walking into, they understand that you're there to um, really care about what they're doing. Um, and then suddenly you just, you're ingrained in the culture. And when you're there for four years, I like, I love the place. It was Covering the Goldman Valley Footy League, you, you probably both know um, one of the strongest country footy leagues going around. And when yeah, you're up there, but everyone knows the 20th best player in the team. Yeah. No one cares about the AFL. It's, it's amazing. They walk around and they're celebrities in town. And um, yeah, still have really fond memories of those days. How many
0: um, grand finals did you go up at Deakin, Mark?
1: Oh, there was a Deakin every year. Um, so it was, oh, that was a great day every year um, and huge crowd. You know, you're talking about sort of 10,000 people at a, at a game um, for country footy and, and, it, and it becomes a real atmosphere um, and everyone looks forward to it. They come from interstate, they come from Melbourne um, to be up there and, um, yeah, great standard of footy. When I was up there, they were actually the number one country footy league. It was when Interleague was thriving. They had um, lots of ex-AFL players up there and um, it's, it's actually dropped off a bit now. There's I think with the point... System coming in they've, they've dipped a bit But when I was there It was just a oh, It was a magnificent time um, Just fell in love With the place And um, yeah, as I said Still really fond memories of, uh, of the GV Yeah
0: It's a real shame I think they've changed it It used to be the last Grand final Maybe If not in the state In the entire country They'd play it the day after AFL grand final day uh, And my father-in-law yeah. Not a big drinker But loves his local footy So he offered to drive up The day after And I'd sit shotgun and they were the best days. And uh, Kai Abram were dominating. Benella, I watched winter grand final. And Shep Swans, I watched winter grand final. And then they switched the model. And I think it's just played majority like the other local comps in the state now, which is a bit of a shame because it was a real point of difference. But you're right. 10,000 people, you couldn't get near the fence. It was 10 to 12 deep. And it was a little bit of the who's who of country footy as well. There was a lot of peacocks in the crowd from years gone by,
1: mate, as you'd know. Oh, it was uh, it was spectacular. We used to get a uh, a seat right inside the boundary. That was the, yeah. that was the media room. Yeah. So that was our grand final day. We'd be sitting on a little little bench right inside the boundary. So it was, uh, yeah, great fun. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it, as much as I love doing what I'm doing now. Um, there's something pretty special about being able to just waltz into the rooms after the game and talk to whoever you want. And um, you know, it'd be really ingrained in that that footy culture. You do feel a little bit separated from it now in the AFL, but there's obviously other pros to it
0: for sure for sure that's a great story mate it's really cool i want to um as i as i touched on i want to talk about the word talent and i wanted to get your guys in on it and you probably may even be sitting there thinking well we're not players we're not athletes where is he going with this but it's a talent to to network and build relationships mark what you've touched on then and, and have a real genuine i guess um approach to that or else you wouldn't have got to where you are today and and as well with you cody um there's a real talent and I guess a little bit of courage to do what you do and go and approach Adam Grant and Joe Dumas to be on your first podcast, which um, is pretty ballsy if you ask me. But in regards to talent, how have you developed yours and who have you come across that have um, inspired you to, to do better or to learn more? Um, I think talent is a word that's used really broadly, but if we dig into it, it's, um, it's quite an important one. And I want to get your guys' take on it.
1: You go first, Cody.
2: I was kind of going to riff on what you were talking about, Mark, with, with just that work ethic. You know, I, there's two sides of this for me. There's one, an understanding that I didn't work hard enough and work on my craft enough as a footy player uh, to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Um, and that was a kick in the pants for me. And it took me a long time to accept that and take my own responsibility for it. Um, and then subsequently is my story is exactly the same. It's, it's just been those you know 12 hour days and, and people ask me now like that probably the number one question I get is, yeah, how did you get X person, whoever they're interested in, whether it's Adam Grant or Joe Dumas or whoever, Ruzi, like whoever's been on my podcast. And, and the answer is exactly the same as what Mark was talking about earlier. It's like, well, while you were at the party on Saturday night, I was sending cold emails to people. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it, <laughs> I know this doesn't answer your question, Ruts, but that doesn't take talent. That just, that just takes work ethic and, and just that uh, love of what you're doing yeah. and the love of your craft that you're willing to sacrifice things for it. And so it's funny because I I don't really see the difference between the two, like my not working hard as a footy player or not working hard enough to reach the AFL level. And then the counter of that is I will stay up until 1am because I know that someone like Adam Grant is going to have 10,000 emails and they're going to all come predominantly during the day. And so he might be up at 10pm answering some of them and one new one pops into the... Uh, into the inbox. So, you know, the the research and the time to craft a hand, you know, handcrafted message to someone like him asking for him to come on a podcast or whatever it may be. Um, You know, I I think that is its own kind of talent set or or something that can be developed. Uh, I think you do have to really love it though. Uh, You can't really make yourself do it. I don't think you can like will yourself into doing something like that that you don't really authentically love
0: yeah yeah it's interesting because you went and developed yours on i mean on your own because you wanted to mark i think and correct me if i'm wrong were you asked to do trends and obviously become to love it but was that a, a another um string to your bow as as a journalist when you were when you were doing that
1: yeah, it initially wasn't my idea, and I I took it in a different direction than what the initial pitch was. But I, I'd shown an interest in that side of things, just in probably the written form. Um, and a guy who no longer works at, at AFL Media, but he's still a good friend of mine. His name's Drew Lowther. Um, he had a radio background, and um, when he was still working with us, he was the chief of staff and he was sort of moving into podcasts it was a real passion of his and um, he was looking for something different that wasn't out there. And it's often the feedback we get with trends that um, it, it's so different to anything else that's out there in the market. Um, so initially the pitch was, let's do a podcast talking about on-field tactics and roll from there. Um, and what I found when I started, it sounded great. I mean, when you think of it, that, Oh yeah, that's great. I'll get all the greatest minds in footy talking to me about all the secrets of uh, of what goes on out there. And it sounds fantastic, but uh, it's easier said than done. Once yeah. you start reaching out to get guests, um, I can take the Cody approach and uh, um, and ask them. Um, I found it really hard, especially early on to get anyone to come on because yeah. the AFL is this um, secret world. They, they they don't want to give an inch because like, they feel like even giving away 1% is is potentially going to hurt them on the field the next week. So, Um, that's where it sort of became that um, we took in that different direction of what does a trend mean? What's a trend in the game? Is it, is it what we're seeing on the field? Is it what we're seeing off the field? Um, So because I couldn't get the, initially the guests we were targeting, um, we started thinking a bit more, you know, outside the square, I guess. Um, And that's where we started coming across, you know, all these different people, data scientists, um, you know, a guy from from Adelaide who was one of the most popular episodes is Kaditha Kadithawaku, who works in in analytics, um, but he's also in recruiting. Um, so we started unearthing all these these different people who had these roles in the game, but they didn't have a loud voice, and it just it, it, it gave people a different insight into footy because footy isn't just you know it's it's not kicking a footy on the ground anymore. Um, it, it goes so far beyond that. It's so professional now that um, that everyone's trying to get an advantage so that's what we were trying to tap into and um we, we I did get the green light to to go again um this season but obviously with everything that's going on with uh with COVID-19 we um we simply don't have the resources at the moment um so it is on the back burner a little bit because uh, there's so much to do with very little staff but um it's definitely something I was really enjoying doing last year and coming meeting people like Cody who you know fantastic I loved that chat with him and I love the chats with everyone on a weekly basis. So hopefully it does come back. Um, may not be this year, um, but hopefully uh, in 2021.
0: Which episode resonated with you the most? And, and in regards to that talent piece, which has gone off in all different directions, which is awesome. The chat's been really good so far. Did you, was there many takeaways that you took into your own, um, I guess, practices at work? Or is there anything that still rings true to you um, currently
1: from those podcasts? It's a hard one. I wouldn't pick one out. I think think everyone had their their own different quality that they were actually bringing. I know that sounds like a bit of a cop out, but um, even speaking to someone like Cody and and understanding his journey of he's speaking to these people that he was trying to learn off, yet I brought him on the show as an expert. So I love meeting these people who have evolved in their own way and um, and, and carved a niche for themselves I've always got great admiration for people who find a niche for themselves and that's that's almost what trends is it's all these different specialists who come together in this massive jigsaw puzzle um, you know there are all these different pieces of the puzzle that come in now um, and, and obviously we're seeing now with COVID-19 there's there's been this um, this the clubs have been forced to, to value different roles higher than others but when everything's in its normal form, there's so many different pieces now to an AFL club and the success you can have. And um, so that's what I really found interesting, just starting to really understand just how how deep footy clubs go. Even as someone who works in it, I probably didn't fully appreciate just all the different minds that go into it and all the different expertise. So whether it was sports science and um, or whether it was analytics, um, you know, or, or hearing from people like Cody who started playing TAC Cup footy ends up over the other side of the world, coaching the you know the Canadian footy team. I mean, it's it just it was it was great to meet different people and, and get to know their journey. Um, that, that's what I loved about the show.
0: Cody, how did you get onto trends? What happened?
2: I think I sent you a message of praise, did I not, Mark? And then you responded back. but um, so I like I'm going to go. You
0: didn't know, Mark? You just reached out.
2: Yeah, no, I just uh, I'm pretty sure that's how it went, wasn't it, Mark? I just sent you a message on Twitter.
1: Yeah, you did, and, and I was, I was aware of of your work, and when you when you sent me the the DM, I was like, oh wow, okay, I appreciate it, but um, now you've reached out, um, do you want to come on? It was sort of a bit of like that, to be honest. It was, uh, as I said, I was I'm always looking for different guests along the way, and Cody just fit the mold perfectly of the sort of person I wanted to have on the show.
2: So. <laughs> My kind of what I've built as my my brand, if you will. I I hate that term. But the whole where others won't kind of ecosystem is is around competitive advantage. And so, you know, what I was getting at before, like I'm going to go a step further here and I'm going to give you some kudos, Mark, because I think that idea, whether it was yours or someone else's, what has transpired is ahead of the curve probably globally from a sports perspective. Um, there aren't a lot of shows that, that look at it like that. Like there's still a lot of podcasts that are old boys' stories and, you know, you, you look at all the ones around the Premier League and it's all stories about Paul Gascoigne and Wrighty and, and uh, what, you know, what the boys get up to at the pub and, yeah. and there's a lot of nonsense and, and the fans love that and I get it. But uh, kudos to you for sticking with it and actually making it work because there are so many voices around sport in general that like you said, they, they they don't have a loud voice. They're doing, you know, work in a basement, but a lot of them make a lot of it tick and it it doesn't get seen. And, you know, for me and, and Rats, you and I have talked about this, like the coaching profession is probably the most misunderstood profession in sport. Um, And one of the things that I've been trying to do is, is find a way to unravel that and get people to truly understand the, particularly the role of the head coach and and just how demanding it is and and how they're not actually idiots uh which is how they're often perceived you know oh, i took my favorite player off in the third quarter you know after he just kicked a goal and all of a sudden the guy's an idiot like you know there's things like that 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 need to be talked about and we need to we need to find a way to uh to undo but uh yeah like your your show is uh, is going some way to doing that you know on a, on a much broader scale so uh, I hope it does come back, mate. I'm a big fan.
1: I've had to fight for it. I'm not going to lie about it. I've had to fight. Because um, like every, everything, um, when it is a bit niche, it's, it's something that's going to take a bit of time to to grow. Um, we got really good industry feedback from it. But it's not your um, mainstream, as you said, blokey, having a laugh, having the celebrity on, having a chat. You know, a lot of these guys are guys who don't have a huge profile. Some of them do. Um, some didn't. Um, You know, I had some guys on who were um, assistant coaches who were former players who, you know, were on the journey of becoming senior coaches. Um, But not everyone had a big profile and it is very niche when you're talking about tactics and trends. People get intimidated by that. Um, When what I tried to do was have that balance of not only just talking about trends and tactics, but talking about their story as well. The person behind it and then mixing that in so that it was more of a, became an interview about them within the topic of trends. So that's what I tried to do to bring it into the mainstream a bit. But um, like anything, especially in your your first uh, attempt at it, um, there's always things you can tweak and improve to uh, make the product better.
0: It's definitely there. I think um, you're a little bit of of a victim of circumstance, Mark. I think we've seen this year, and we can use Reshore as an example, the storytelling piece and the real genuine approach to coaching has been huge this year uh, and it's been a pretty big talking point in the media outside the, the negative rubbish that we get. So I assume that the next um, crop of people that you have on your, your show, I definitely think you'll get that. Um, I want to segue into it though. You've both brushed around the topic, but it's great that we've got Cody on to give us a perspective from an overseas standpoint. Mark, um, you sort of alluded to the the IP, the intellectual intellectual property. too big a word for me to say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Surrounding the AFL and the protectiveness around that and how you just can't get in. And even some people that I think even you told me once um, were a little bit reluctant to come on your show because of what they were allowed to and not allowed to talk about. Um, And it seems to me overseas, the IP um, borderlines don't exist. Uh, It's very open and honest. And I think for me as a coach... In Melbourne, in Australia, I love going abroad and looking at soccer, NFL, uh, anything, uh, basketball coaches, any type of coaches overseas to try and get an edge because they're so open and honest and you can gain so much out of it and try and relate it back to, for me, footy. Um, Why do you think we're so, I guess, protective about the IP in this industry?
1: It's it's a great question, um, and I think I've had this top, this discussion with Cody as well. Um, yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, probably me ranting while I was trying to get my guests on. But um, <laughs> look, it's it's a hard one. It is it is really difficult because the funny thing is, we we do in a lot of ways we do copy what we see in America. Yet one thing that we haven't is that that real sharing of of knowledge because um, they, they are so fearful about, um, as I said earlier, giving away even the slightest advantage where we're still, but I mean, I think you still see this a little bit overseas as well, but they will be pedantic about even if someone's, you know, watching a training session that might be completely nondescript. Um, they'll be, they'll be worried about things like that. So let alone giving away trade secrets. Like I'm bringing in a guy who's analyzing whether it's more effective to kick, kick goals from 40 meters or try to get the ball, um, you know, instead of being on the boundary, always trying to pass it off because it's it's not a um, you know that's not the way to go. Or I'm just throwing out examples here, but um, even the slightest advantage in the AFL is seen as um, there's no value in it. So if we don't see value in it internally, um, why would we share it? Um, which is completely different to what we see overseas, where they'll they'll see a way that the whole sport can benefit by that sharing of knowledge um and so I'd love to see us get to that point and that's not just saying it from a selfish point of view because I'd love to see that openness and be able to get people to come on the on my podcast to talk about it i just think it'd be great to to hear more about it and this is coming from a journalist perspective as well um what i find is readers absolutely love even getting the most shallow insights you know, a little bit of a look behind the curtain and that's what I tried to explain with what I'm doing with trends or what I've tried to do with trends to clubs when I approach them about a guest. It might not be something that is even giving anything away from yours, your, what you're doing. But even if you give me a little peek, if someone learns something while listening to it or reading about it, they, they walk away giddy. They walk away and they might tell their mate down the pub you a know, swagger about this new bit of knowledge they've got. Um, it, it's, it's amazing. People don't want much. They just want a little bit. Um, and, and, and maybe for me, I, I sometimes feel like people who work in, in the AFL or in elite sport, I reckon part of the responsibility for them, and they might not see it this way, but I, I sometimes do, um, is for them to, to give insights to the next generation um, so that they can, oh, wow, that's, that's, I've learned something there. Maybe I want to go down that path. I, I think there's a real responsibility to keep, um, keep that ticking over. And and whether it's looking at the next generation of coaches, the next generation of footy managers, um, or just the next generation for the sport itself, um, I'd really love to see um, that sharing of knowledge take place. But I think we're still a fair way away from that in the the AFL, from what I can see.
0: Before Cody jumps in, just the last few minutes of you talking was awesome. Some of the best that I've had because I could really hear that Pat, you started to get really passionate about that and you really want that in the, in the industry. And I think if we can't get it at the top end, then as local coaches, we can definitely get it. And as semi-professional coaches, we can definitely get it. And if there's a, if there are coaches like that listening, it doesn't have to be in our sport either. Um, it's great to engage with opposition, opposition coaches, coaches at a higher division, lower division and try and get it like you touched on, which I love. Get a little look behind the curtain to add to their skill set. Yeah, it's really well said, man. Really, really cool. Uh, Cody, why are we so behind down here, down under? What's going on with us? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: I think there's a couple of things that we need to factor in here. So I'm, I'm with Mark 100%. You know, from a coaching profession standpoint, we do a horrific job of passing on the the intricacies and the folklore and you know what I was talking about earlier with you know the Sir Alex Ferguson as an example and I, I don't mean to keep sliding him <laughs> but you know we only ever hear from winners yeah. and if you have to have won a, a title to even get a book deal so what that does to particularly that just the, the coaching landscape is quite detrimental because it's not all about that um, there's two there's two conditioning things here as well but we need to factor in and one is job security and the other is insecurity Mm -hmm. so job security what what is the benefit to anyone in a in a world where the next day you can be fired without cause uh, just because an owner or you know someone above you decides that you didn't play well enough or you didn't play an expansive enough game on the saturday before like, what's the onus to give away trade secrets? Um, you know, coaches regularly get shafted in terms of job security all, all across the globe. Okay. Um, and then insecurity is if you, start, <laughs> if you start to give away trade secrets, you actually have to be good at your job. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's part of it. You know, it, it, it takes it takes a lot of gumption to kind of go against the game and say, look, here's what we're doing and we're going to be so good at it that you knowing isn't going to impact whether we beat you or not. Because, because I'm so good at my job as a coach and we're so good as an organization that you knowing what we're going to do to you isn't going to impact the result because we're going to beat you anyway. That takes a lot of gumption and there are very few coaches that get to that point. Um, you know, even to the point of, of Steve Kerr and, and Pete Carroll starting their own podcast, that really only happens because they have job security. Yeah. Um, and they have security in, in that they've won, uh, you know, personally. So they've been validated against their own metrics to say we're actually pretty good at what we do and we can put across some opinions. Mm-hmm. If that was two guys, in the, a guy in the NBA and a guy in the NFL that hadn't won anything... You know, people would probably say, oh, you Muppets. Like, who are you to tell us what to do? So that then drives that insecurity. And so, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of conditioning factors, but I'm with you guys. I am a huge advocate for sharing. It's what I'm trying to do more of. Um, just sharing the, the craft of particularly head coaching because there are so many benefits, like you talked about, the knock-on effect down the chain, the international impact that you can have now. Some guy in Russia in Siberia coaching soccer can listen to an Aussie rules podcast and go, actually, that's going to help me with, with my craft. So uh, it'll change slowly. It'll change with these documentaries coming out. You know, I know the AFL hasn't been keen on, (laughs) on those, but you know, Amazon's a big beast. And if Man City and the All Blacks and the Dallas Cowboys are doing it, it will eventually get through.
1: Well, Amazon's actually doing a a doco this year um, with the AFL. So as you, as you say, I'm not sure if you are aware of it, but you might be, but um, that's, that's going to be really interesting because we've seen some some really quality stuff from Amazon and I think people are, are loving, again, behind the scenes. That's what it's all about. That's all fans want. They love the game. They see it on the field and they want to just get a little bit extra so they can walk away feeling like they've learned something.
0: That's uh, all we heard about when the last dance was on. Every second person in the coaching for Shani was talking about that. Um, documentary. Everyone was trying to um, relate their misfit at the local footy club uh, to Dennis
1: Rodman, which was cringeworthy. <laughs> 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 Absolutely embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: But uh, but there was a real love for it, and people were interested in that next episode and that next peek behind the curtain, if you will, Mark. Um, I'm not aware of the Amazon one. What is it going to be? Just off topic.
1: So basically, they're they're following a series of different people. So it's one person at a series of different clubs. It's uh, Stuart Jewett Gold Coast. Um, it's, uh, it's the Richmond president. It's different players from different backgrounds. So basically they're picking one. I think, I'm think i not trying to think how many there are now. I think it's about eight different clubs that are represented. And they're going to follow them all the way through the year. And as Amazon does it, they come right from the start and they're honest about it. We are literally going to follow you everywhere. We are embedded in your life. We want to see everything. So whether it's Stuart Jew, they're going to be at home. They're going to be at home with him. They're going to follow him from leaving home to going to the office to um, his pre-game speech. And you basically have to sign off on it. And that's what makes them great, but it's pretty intimidating, especially for someone like Stuart Jew. We're, we're seeing Gold Coast now having some great success, and they may have seen this coming, but, he came into the season and he'd lost like 19 games in a row. Yeah. Um, most certainly this guy's going to keep his job. I mean, what Cody said earlier, job security. Um, Stuart Jew, yeah, okay, there's a lot of positive vibes coming out about what he's doing. But when you lose 19 in a row, that reaches 30. You ain't coming back from that. Yeah. Um, so it took, it took some balls for him to say, yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, and again, what we talked about earlier about um, the bigger picture, not just looking at being selfish. Stuart Jew is coaching the Gold Coast Football Club a club that is trying to break into a different market. He needs to be different to, Alistair, to what Alistair Clarkson's doing. One, he hasn't won four premierships. Two, he's not an established club with a huge supporter base. So his role goes beyond just trying to get wins on the field. He's trying to get these guys to be a success, obviously, but he also needs to sell the football club. So he needs to sell his life in some ways. His his family now has to be on board with the fact that they're going to have cameras in their face. So for me, that's great. You know, he's, he's sacrificing for the greater good, and that, thats what I'd love to see a bit more of. But obviously, it's a—it's a unique case because it's a—it's a, it's a uh, an expansion club, I suppose. So he has to do different things. But that's what I was going back to earlier about. I just I love I love it when they have that big picture view um, that goes beyond just wins and losses, and actually thinking about what impact they can have beyond their immediate job description.
0: Cody, what's um going back to your, your definition of success is titles and championships and and premierships. And I know that you've touched on this in the past and you've even wrote about it on your socials uh, before in regards to the people that don't necessarily win the championships but still have success. Um, and they don't lose their jobs either. I think that's another topic I want you to touch on too because, as Mark just mentioned, if you get around the, the 2019, 20, 20-plus 20 losing record in the afl your head's on the chopping block and that doesn't matter if you've lasted one two or three years whereas for me my i guess perception of overseas is um there's some coaches that unfortunately for them we're gonna have to wait till they die until those jobs become open um Shevshesky and um uh, gino oriema guys like that anson dorrance um for those of you that don't recognise those names, just go and Google them. They've been coaching their respective teams for decades. Uh, first part, Cody, the the definition of success and, and the coaches that you're currently studying that have fallen short but have still remained in their jobs and, and had success without the titles.
2: Yeah. This is what Mark and I talked about on his podcast really is You know, one of the the things I think is observable in terms of sustained success is organisational alignment. So the organisation actually understands what a win is. And let me be clear here, it's it's not the same for every organisation. So, you know, for instance, what Mark was just talking about there with, with Gold Coast is obviously everyone's trying to win the flag, but success for Gold Coast Footy Club is probably right now making the finals. And, um, you know, another example is if you think a win on the weekend for Manchester United is the same as a win for Burnley, uh, you, you need to go and think about that because, you know, Manchester United, it's not about just getting three points. They have to play a particular way. The fans, the whole organisation, the, the media, they demand that they play a particular style and win, you know, in a beautiful way. Now, Burnley is only thirty-five miles up the road, um, but they have a, a different set of circumstances. And if they get three points against a team that has more resources than them, that's win for them. And so that's what I mean with like you have to understand from an organisational perspective what a win is. Um, and to be clear, it's not always a flag. And so, you know, I, I think that's a huge part of it. Of, And that's where you see misalignment with organisations and misalignment with coaches is the coach goes in there thinking that, you know, they're trying to win a flag or they're just trying to get to the finals, but then the goalposts change. Um, and there's kind of not that organisational perspective as to, like, what a win is.
0: How important is being self-aware in that, mate? I mean, because every... Every club and case is different, and their their um perception of a win from Manchester City to a Sunderland is vastly different. so how important is being self aware in that in that piece and what who have you come across that has been really good at it
2: well yeah, I mean like <laughs> again, using soccer examples because it's easy because you can look at resources and that kind of sets the expectation, but yeah, yeah like. Uh, uh, Burnley' are in a Bournemouth you know teams in the Premier League that have small stadiums, uh, one that a lot of people don 't pay a lot of attention to, but Brentford, who are in the championship um, you know they 're someone that should end up on trends quite frankly you know they 're kind of trying to money ball um, professional soccer in the u k and yeah. and think about the game vastly differently um, but yeah you 're right you know Those goalposts are going to change and expectations are going to change. But I I think it's really that communication between whoever's making decisions at the top and the coaching staff and the players. And that's what I mean. It's literally organisational alignment. It's not just a couple of people together deciding that the the team's going to try to win a flag. It's got to be, well, you know, the players think we can get this far and then the coach actually thinks that might be a stretch and it's got to happen. Got to be communication and conversations across the board. If you're not having those, you've got a lot of work to do. Because, um, you know, one thing that I would love to see happen is just this coaching merry-go-round. Just go away. I, like, it doesn't need to be like that. Uh, you don't need to sack three, four coaches <laughs> in a season and start again. And, uh, you know, I think it can be done a lot better and really it's, it's having conversations and sometimes tough conversations.
0: For sure. For sure. Uh, Marking your experience, covering footy for a long time now and in regards to what we're talking about with coaching and, and their jobs and the merry-go-round as Katie just touched on, what have you noticed in your time, mate? I guess <laughs> no pun intended, but the trends that have um, transpired
1: throughout your journey. Look, I- I naturally follow how coaches represent themselves in the media. I actually find that really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I think a, a really good case in point for that was Brendan Bolton. Um, I think we can all draw parallels between those six games where he was undefeated as Clarko's you know, interim coach, where he had no pressure on him whatsoever. He, obviously, he needed to win and he was wanting to win, but he was... He was basically, you know, he was he was steering a um, <laughs> an unbelievable football club at that at that point, and he was six and zip, I think, and he was he was the smiling assassin. Um, everyone was loving this bloke. He was waltzing into the press conferences and massive smile on his face. Then we fast forward to obviously the success he had at the Hawks um, created that opportunity at the Blues. Yeah. But then when he walked in, suddenly the whole mindset shifted. He he was the guy. At, Previously, who he knew he was just keeping the seat warm, whereas he stepped into Carlton and it was like, wow, this is this is on me now. Yeah, um, and you could see him struggling with it, and he would trot out all these ridiculous lines about green shoots and um, all all this sort of stuff, and he thought that that was what people wanted to hear, yeah. and it and it wasn't, and he he became a walking catchphrase, and then it all got away from him as the wind, the losses kept building and building. And he came so far down this path of, of talking in that way that he just couldn't escape it. And he just, every time you saw him, the pressure was building on his face. Yeah. And we'd be in there and you almost felt sorry for the guy. And, and then obviously, as we know, it all ended up with, um, with him departing and, and David Teague coming in and a whole different perspective. And then again, looking at a different case, Matthew Nix, First year coach at Adelaide and the way he's approached it differently to Brendan Bolton. I'm not saying he, his way is necessarily a success, but he's he's had a couple of really rough weeks and, and Adelaide's had a really tough year in general, but they they lost the the showdown by record margin and he described it as embarrassing and bruise-free footy. Yeah. And then a week later he's talking about we're in a world of hurt and and they're rolling out <laughs> Adelaide players and they're talking about now, you know, Daniel Tarley talked about this week about being the most non-competitive team he's been a part of. Yeah, It's so that, just fascinating to go from the Carlton example of let's keep everything positive. Let's talk about green shoots. And um, <laughs> we might have only kicked one goal, but what a goal it was um, yeah. to this Adelaide approach of, Let's admit our failures and let's be really honest. Let's give the media all these amazing words that they're going to chuck in headlines. Uh, I, I find that fascinating, just seeing how different coaches carry themselves, because I think it gives a real insight into how, um, how they handle pressure.
2: What's your guys' impression, and I want you to answer this as well, Ruts, as to why you basically get one chance in the AFL? So I think there's maybe two, two guys right now in the, in the AFL, probably Rats and Busher, who are on their kind of second assignment. I know Busher wasn't really fired per se. And, and so really you're looking at Rats. and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's the only one really on his second chance.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I, and I think the example with, with Rats is, again, I think what you're getting towards is when you finish up at a job and you're sent packing, basically, you're seen as damaged goods. You're actually no good. You're a failure. I think you touched on it a little bit earlier. I found it really interesting how you said if there are unsuccessful coaches trying to do what Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll are doing, your average Joe has no respect for them. Right. I think even though they've been a coach at an AFL club, which is incredibly exclusive, and you have to be brilliant to even get there, you're seen as a failure. I don't need to learn anything from you. You, you, you know as much as the average Joe on the street. But the difference with Ratton, he still was seen when he was sacked at Carlton, that, gee, that was harsh. You, and he almost retained this, um, this reputation. And then he rolled into Hawthorne, won all these premierships. And then on top of that, hang on, his, his record in his last year was still 50-50. So he's actually not that bad of a coach. But if you, you know, struggled year after year, um, no matter how much development you got out of certain players, the team was no good. You're no good as a coach. We don't want to possibly have you because it will be a PR disaster. I think,
0: um, I think I can't give you an answer on the why, Cody, um, but I can give you examples of what I guess I was touching on earlier about sticking, sticking fat to the person that they put in the job in the first place. Bomber Thompson, Damien Hardwick, Alistair Clarkson have all felt pressure on being fired due to performance. Um, The the strong people in those football clubs, so you've got the Costas and the Cooks of Geelong. You've got, um, well, Peggy O'Neill and Brendan Gale that came into Richmond. Um, And the Dunstall and the board that uh, got Clarko in. They had a vision. They had a plan. And they stuck with their guy. And they put things around those coaches to improve them and make them better, and they also didn't. And we're we're starting to find out a little bit more now after they've had success. We're starting to find out that they were actually hit between the eyes with some of their shortfalls. Um, and now, in the landscape that they're in, those coaches are actually being really open and honest about it. And I, uh, interestingly enough, Cody, on what you've spoken about, Nathan Buckley, without the, the silverware, falls into that bracket for me as well because we've seen him transition his entire. Philosophy and, and approach to coaching by given time. They've all had time to grow as people and coaches in the environment, and success has happened. So I think a lot of the coaches that we see that get fired are off knee jerk reactions and poor decisions from the top. Um, that, that would be my take on that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting to watch again you know, from a global perspective. There's nothing quite like the AFL in terms of just how few you know, recycling opportunities there are. And, and that's fascinating because yeah, there, there are so many examples of coaches that it took time and organizations that it took time and, and they weren't willing to wait it out. And, and I get it, you know, it's a, we call it a results business, but it's not a results business. It's, you know, it, it's a, a, a planning, um, and, and strategy business yeah. and, and it's, it's a process business really. And when you stick to the process, uh, more often than not, good things happen. Um, but it's just fascinating to watch how few are willing to actually dig in and go through the process. Yeah. Um, now, I think I, I, a couple of years ago, I, I just went and looked at how many years into their tenure, the NFL coaches who'd won their, a Super Bowl, were and it was four and a half years. So on average, nice. since two thousand, and so that just gives you an idea of, you know, it's going to take five years here. So unless you're in for the long haul, and I'd be interested to see with footy as well. You know, you could even if you strip out some of the people who've been there twenty years, and just looked at at the more recent hires, it'd be really interesting to see, you know, on average to win a flag, what it takes.
0: Guys, I'm conscious of your time, but it'd be, um, it just wouldn't be right if I opened the floor for you both to ask each other questions um, and even touch on more to the point for me as well. What's really inspiring you guys at the moment? What are you invested in? What's getting you up in the morning? What are you learning? Who are you um, engaging with at the moment? That's, um, that's been really beneficial for you of late in regards to to both your journalism, Mark, and um, your writing, Cody?
1: Do you want to go first, Cody? You go, mate. It's, I, I always find it very, very uncomfortable talking about myself, to be honest. Um, I, I love being on the other side and asking the questions. So I'd rather be sitting in your, your uh, closet right there. Um, <laughs> but um, I, for me, I, I'm just... And this has been something I, I talked a bit earlier about work ethic. Um, it's probably because I feel like I've always had to keep climbing because you, you never, you're absolutely never the best. And I, I'm very comfortable with that. And I think it's, we talked about being self-aware as well of where you're at, um, knowing your place and knowing that, okay, I, I worked fairly hard there, but I probably could have done that a little bit better or um, I didn't handle that, um, you know, that engagement as well as I could have. Um, and then you, see, you might see someone else who, um, I, I learn a lot from Mitch Cleary, um, a guy I work with. Um, he's a younger guy than me, but um, I've learned heaps from him, just the way he operates. And that's changed a lot of what I do, whether it's how you prepare, um, whether it's um, finding a way to get that phone number to speak to the next person. Um, I think you just always, for me, what keeps me going and gets me motivated um, is you're trying to get better and do your job better um there's there's nothing better in my job than breaking a story um that's unless you're a journo you you don't appreciate how good that is um and we do often get it wrong as far as trying to push too hard um i'm probably a bit more cautious than a lot of other people with getting stuff out and i've I've missed out on stories because of that because i've been too cautious sometimes um but um there's nothing like breaking a story and that feeling that's that's uh that's something every journo uh, would definitely say as well, and for me, that's, what does that feel like?
2: What does it feel like? Is that like sleepless nights, kind of? Kind of stuff? Know, Just because you're so excited?
1: Well, it can be. It can be interesting because um, you want to be always a hundred percent, but there's times when you're relying on. You might have four, five, six sources, and you are still, unless you're hearing it right from that same person, there's still a bit of nervousness about it. So there's that nervousness about. All right, that's going out to publish now. That's out there. I can't take that back now. Um, What's back- the
0: one, Mark? What are the examples? Give us the one that you, you put out there that worked, and give us the one that you might have missed
1: or failed on. Oh well, I think anyone who, I think everyone who uh, knows anything about my past year, it would be uh, the Orazio Fantasia story. Um, that was, um, yeah, that was that was an experience. Let's put it that way. Um, and I, I was proven correct months later, but um that was probably the most fascinating day of my entire career um uh where i i was uh it was mid-year um last year a guy who was contracted for two more years um and i was out for it all started i was out for uh i, was, I think i was going to a movie with my wife um so again another experience my wife said to sacrifice time while i'm dealing with work i think it was nine o'clock at night or something, and. I got a bit of a tip from um
0: Hang on, I'm just gonna go back to the tour. I heard a guy talking about something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually we were sitting at him, you know, and I got a phone call and I'm like, I have to take this. <laughs> um which again, I'm pretty uh, selfish with my job, but um yeah, she's she loves me anyway. But um so I got that tip and it's sort of that got the ball rolling. Um like any time you you speak to as many people as you can and when I first heard the name, I was like, come on, you can't, can't be serious. This guy's got two years still to go, really? Um, and then I started talking to a few different people and, wow, this is, uh, this is on. This is going to happen. Um, and I, I decided, I, I spoke to a number of different people. I got to the point where I was, I was comfortable to write something, even though it was mid-year. And it was gonna, I knew what it was. I probably actually didn't understand what I was about to do, to be honest. Um, I thought it was going to cause a stir, but probably not to the point. That it actually did. Um, yeah. And it became a, a, a pretty dramatic 24 hours. Um, I put it out there and the way the public is, when the story comes out, everyone just started attacking Orazio Fantasia. That was the first reaction.
0: Yeah. Well, if he
1: doesn't want to be here, he can bugger off. And then um, as we do in AFL media, um, we, if we haven't got the story, a lot of the time people will jump to the denial. And so the first... Um, story in the Herald Sun was what's called the manager. On the record, the manager says it wasn't right. So then it becomes the denial story, and then everyone turned on me. And then it became this vicious, absolute vicious cycle of getting absolute abuse. And then it rolled into a couple of hours later where there was the doorstop at Essendon Football Club where two journalists were given one question each to Horatio. First question was, "Are you, are you leaving at the end of this year? Um, he said, no, and he, I, I laughed at the story. That was the first reaction. And then the second question, knowing that he only had one question, was um, were you frustrated at the story? So, and that just, again, spiralled it more. The abuse started coming. I was getting some, uh, some good advice in the private messages on Twitter um, and uh, rolled into the next day where I was getting, I think I was getting abuse from Nick Revolt on the radio. Um, like it was just—it was the most incredible 24 hours, and I was just getting abused left, right, and centre. Um, I even had a chat with Damien Barrett the next day. He advised me—he sort of said, "Look, you might have been—I know your stories are right by now, but you know you've got to weigh up the pros and cons sometimes. Whether you want to go with that sort of stuff." Um, and for me, I, I said to him, and I say it the same if it was the week before trade week, or whether it was in June—I think it was when it came out. If I'm confident of a story, I'll write it. If I'm not confident, I won't write it. doesn't matter yeah. what time of year. Yeah. Um, but that one, um, yeah, I, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an intense 24 hours. And, wow, I got some advice and I got a lot of abuse. Um, but then it was pretty good a few months later when it all started to come out. And other media started reporting on it and saying it was happening. And, look, he ended up staying, to be fair. Um, but... Um, it became real and I think it got to the point where it was being talked about with Essendon and Port Adelaide and it, it put life into the story and, and it probably justified me months down the track. But, um, yeah, I'm, I won't forget that one in a hurry. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Cody, what have you got for us?
2: Yeah, so I'm pretty deep into writing another book, which is fun. Um, you know, end of 2017 was when I published Where Others Won't. So it's been a few years and really looking forward to diving into that. I'd actually half written a, uh, a book about hiring when COVID hit. So <laughs> I was Pretty deep into that. And then I decided to shelve that one. I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen uh, now that everyone's working remotely and how it's going to change things. And it's probably already been a shift that I was going to implore people to take anyway. Um, and then through the process of getting to speak to so many different coaches uh, around the world during the shutdown, it's kind of uh, stoked to fire to look at that. And so, yeah, I'm deep into, you know, writing a, a book about coaching, um, specifically the, the difficult stuff, the stuff that we've been talking about. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that don't get talked about with, with coaching, I think you're, you're barely out of the first chapter of Eddie Jones's autobiography when he starts talking about loneliness and yeah. So I'm going to you know, look at, you know, the, the psychology and, and the, the, the things that swirl around, particularly being a head coach, you know, there's, there's a lot that doesn't get talked about that lands on your plate. You're basically a CEO now. And, and the speed of change of that has been remarkable. You know, you look at, coaching staffs even in footy, but in in global sport, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, maybe head coach and an assistant coach and maybe a fitness coach or something like that. And now you look at the management that a head coach has to do just of of the footy department, like it's it's insane. You know, I, I remember Tony Granato on my podcast, he coached the Colorado Avalanche and this was 2002 and he took over one of the, the greatest hockey teams of all time, had Patrick Waugh and Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg and all these, these amazing names. And, <laughs> and they were running that team with him and an assistant coach. It was like 2002, 2003. Yeah. And now again, you know, you're a, you're a CEO. So what does that do? What does that do to your psyche? What, what does it do? You know, you've got to, you've got to go out and listen to trends with Mark McGowan so that you're you know, at the, at the forefront of what everyone else is doing. You've got, to, you've got to manage the media. You've got to manage up of the chain. You've got to manage down. Now you have 20 staff plus 50 players or 40 staff or 50 staff, however many it is. You've got all these different things. Then you've got to be able to switch off when you go home so you can give time to your wife and your kids. Um, and so when you start to think about that, maybe less so on a footy perspective where it's pretty regimented Saturday to Saturday. Think about an NBA coach, 82 games. You're in three different time zones in five days. You might get home once a week. You live in a hotel. Um, You're isolated from the team, even just purely through your role. You might've been an assistant coach and you're kind of buddy, buddy with the players. And then as soon as your title changes, that whole demeanor changes. Now there's skepticism of you because you can affect my, my contract. So, like, I want to talk about a lot of those dynamics and and really explore them in a little bit more detail because they have impact on people. Yeah, um, and and that stuff doesn't it doesn't get any airtime because it's the nitty gritty tough stuff. We don't want to hear about that. But I think it's time.
0: But we do want to hear about that. There's obviously a a, a huge array of people that want to hear about that stuff. I think it's really interesting and really cool. Um, what for the for both of you? What's the I guess. I've asked this question before of two people on my podcast. I had um, Lauren Moorcroft and Kate Upton, who were both coaches uh, in their own right, one in football and one in netball. And I asked them what their end game was. And both their responses were really interesting. They just wanted not to necessarily set an end goal, but just have have as much time as they can in the game, as much skin as they can in the game, whether it was an assistant, head coach, whatever the role was in football and netball, respectively. They just wanted to be in the game for longer. What's the end game and and the goal for you guys? I guess we're. I think we're all similar in age. Mark, are you around our vintage thirty five ish?
1: Yeah, perfect.
0: Yep. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of work years left ahead of us. What's the what's the end game? What's the dream?
1: It's scary to talk about the end game. To be honest, it's um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's really scary. I've always. What I've always struggled with throughout my career, throughout my work career, is um, I probably have never stopped to smell the roses enough, to be honest. Um, I reckon that's something probably a lot of people would would say I don't do. Um, I'm always looking for the next opportunity, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. I've never sort of been anywhere too long because I've always like, all right, well, that's my next goal. That's where I want to be. Um, um, So I, I don't know. I honestly don't know where I'm going. Um, it
0: has to be generational. Cody, do you do that too? I do that. I definitely do that.
1: What? Not stop to smell the roses.
0: Hundred percent. I don't even know where the roses are.
2: <laughs> no, I've never been content with anything.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mark, sorry, go on. So, what? What would it look like?
1: I, I don't know. I honestly don't. I I really enjoy what I'm doing, but um, you know, in in the way the way journalism's going, um, you know as, as we've touched on, I've, I've sort of moved into a little bit of podcasting. Um, I do, you know, just naturally in my job, you do a little bit of radio, um, you do a bit of on air stuff, who knows where you're going. Um, but you know what I'd, I'd love to be just employed to be honest. I, I, I love my job and, um, it's, I, I need to be motivated as well. So it needs to be something that's, that's challenging me that I feel like I'm actually contributing because, um, again, probably something that's a fault of mine, but, um, I've I get a lot of my self-worth out of my job um, and that's probably not a good thing sometimes, but it's also drives me to keep working hard. So um, for me, it's something that makes me that I'm still getting something really positive out of it and feeling good about myself in some ways that um, I'm also enjoying my job um, and that I'm providing for my family. Now that's, that's a big thing for me as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, lack of job security in my, um, my workplace at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. I've still got to work for another 30 years yet. Um, And I always worry about that, you know, if you get to your mid fifties and suddenly you're on too high of a wage and the next young, young bucks walking in, who's suddenly a lot more productive than you, how am I still going to offer some value um, knowing I have still got to work for another 10 years to set up my retirement? Um, This is all the stuff you worry about a little bit when you start getting to your mid thirties and you're a dad, you know, you think about you've got to, you've got to pay off your mortgage. You've got to do all these things. So for me, it's um, yeah, it's, just always looking for that next opportunity, feeling like I'm still challenged and that I'm uh, yeah really enjoying my job still
0: Cody, what's your take on that? i mean it, this, in some parts of this pod, which has been really cool, it's sort of been a little bit of let's turn to Cody and get his opinion because you you talk and associate with so many different people in the world in their um respective fields. Mark just touched on you know worrying a little bit about what the future looks like. What would your advice be? What are you seeing on the other side of the world, mate? What, what's your take on everything that's been happening at the moment? And maybe to finish off, and dare I ask, what's Cody Royal's end game?
2: Well, <laughs> it's funny. I was having this conversation last night with a sports psychologist who does a bunch of work in the NBA, and we, yeah, we were just talking about this topic of end games and goals and things like that, and and the, the worry and concern. That, that comes along with just life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and he said to me, one of the things that's noticeable, and we've talked a lot about, you know, coaches who win. And one of the things that he said is there's never any closure. And what he meant was, and we've heard a million stories like this, but so you do, you do get lucky and you win a title or you do get lucky and you get your dream job at AFL media and you're covering pro sport there's still no closure. There's still always this what's next. Yep. And, and we, we kind of got sold a dud when we were younger by being told to have these goals, like set these you know, big goals. But then you just hear so many stories of people that get there and go, Oh, is that it? Yeah. And, and, you know, often it's not really glamorous at all with what we thought was going to be glamorous being able to, stand on stage and sing your own song to 30,000 people. But then all the other stuff that comes along with it <laughs> is, is kind of horrific and, and it messes with people. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think everyone's certainly struggling at the moment with particularly that idea of end goals, if they had them. And a lot of them have been wiped away just by the nature of the state the world's in at the moment. Um, going to be interesting to see. I don't think North America is any different to, to anywhere else. There's a lot of, of concern and panic and, you know, unemployment at 30% or whatever in the States. And um, for me, I'm much the same as, as what Mark said. I, I don't have any, and I've gotten pretty good at not having any by the nature of moving overseas and just having so much uncertainty. Like when you arrive, sure, it's a English-speaking country and part of the Commonwealth, but it was not easy moving with you know no safety net, just a, a little bit of money and two suitcases. Uh, I didn't even know where to go and apply for a job. And so you get pretty good at just being okay with the uncertainty. And so where I've landed, I don't have an end goal right now. Um, but what I do commit to is um, trying to open more doors. So... Um, Again, just through my journey, moving overseas is—is is I've realised that it's about opening doors. You might not walk through all of them, but where you have opportunities to create something, either create a door, um, which you know might be that late night email to a celebrity that you want to invite on your podcast, or it might be yeah applying for a job that you're unqualified for, or whatever it is. Just try to create more doors, then you get choice which ones you walk through, and so for me, all of this has been a, a, an operation to, to try to open doors. And, and when they do open, I'll you know, sit down with my wife and say, is this what we want to do? Um, but yeah, there's no, no end goal to that. I think life's a journey. And, and I really want to stay away from that, that idea of like, no closure. Yeah. Um, like let's, let's kind of get closure along the way when we, when we open and close those doors, but otherwise, yeah, who knows? No,
0: nah, that's cool. I think it's a really cool way to finish if um, we talk about the doors. I think leaving them open, especially in this stage of, um, of your guys' lives and your, your vocational pathways and what you're doing, the doors are going to be open for a really long time. And I think some of the takeaways, I can't wait to go back and listen, to be honest. Um, but, you know, Cody, you just touched on then by packing up your bags and taking the punt to go and move and, and take that step through that door and then mark for you the story that resonates when you you took the step to go interstate when you were about to have your first child i assume it was your first child um massive and it's just they're the they're the journeys and the stories that i love um this podcast is only 11 i think you guys are lucky legs 11 uh, episodes long um or old but it's the journeys and the the storytelling piece that i love and none of them start from yeah, I just rolled out of bed and played for North Melbourne. Or, yeah, no, I just woke up and got given the Claremont football club job, head coaching job. That just happened, Russ. So thanks for that. Um, they're long journeys and there's a lot of struggle at the start and a lot of risk, but they always end up with a lot of reward at the end. And you two guys are are definitely uh, leading the way with that. And I really want to thank you for your time. One of you's on the other side of the world. And Mark, you were just trying to get your little one down before you come on. And I appreciate your... Your time too man
1: no no, no problems Re- really enjoyed it, and yeah, it 's a, a bit embarrassing to be on the same show with Cody to be honest because he's a he 's a really impressive guy i 've got a huge amount of admiration for him and i 'm not saying that just because you can hear me cody I'm, I'm, I, I admire you so much because you talk about me going to Darwin and Shepherd, and you went across the other side of the world <laughs> that 's a, that's a much bigger leap, and you are making a great uh, great fist of it
2: oh, thanks lads yeah no it 's been great to be on and and, uh, yeah, talking about stuff that we're all passionate about. That's what it's all about. And, yeah, sure. uh, you know, yeah, it's early in the morning for me, but it's a, it's a pump of energy. So thanks for starting my day off. By pump of energy?
0: We've all, all we've done is just blow wind up here for an hour and a bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I feel great.
0: <laughs> I'm going to need to get a projector for next time we get in touch because that's, that's going to be the size of your head for the next Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh you guys are awesome. Um I love your work. Uh, I'm really stoked. I, I never thought I two podcasts that I've come to love and enjoy. I'd be able to get both hosts on and and have a chat. Um yeah, you guys have been awesome so thanks a lot. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Be sure to share it on all your social platforms or even text and email. And please stay tuned next week for another episode of Hear The Voice. Thanks again.